Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Too often we, as professionals, forget that we should also be a bit of a historian. We are where we are today because of where we were yesterday. Robert Weitz is a psychologist who began his career in 1945. He was active in practice until just a few years ago. Dr. Weitz, thank you for spending some time with us. I'm very happy to be here today, and I hope that what I have to say is of value to our professions, psychology, psychiatry, social work, and so on. I've seen a good deal over the years. Well, that's exactly what I want to tap into. I want to go into your memories and your observations. Let's begin with a general question, then we can go around in different, into different areas. How has the acceptance and the perception of mental health changed over the last 62 years since you began working in mental health? When I was in the field as a student, I could see changes taking place over what existed before. We weren't too far away from the years of uh, chains and hospitals with patients chained to the walls and so on. But let's forget that. That's past history. However, back in 1945, I was just released from uh, my position as psychological vocational consultant to the United States Public Health Service. And of interest to you, to show you how far we can go in the field, I was consultant in a program dealing with sexually promiscuous affected females, which was of concern to the military of the United States. And I was heading a program dealing with that, finding the girls, treating them with psychology, social work, and so on, psychiatry, and then giving them a job through training and out into the field. Now, that's far removed from what I did in many years, but that's how far it goes back where it was an admixture of many things being done by many people. Because to those of us working in the field today, that truly does sound as if it doesn't belong with our our profession. I wrote many, an article about it, and I referred to these girls as patriots. They were not prostitutes, but that's how far away. At that time, psychoanalysis was the treatment of the day. And everybody in the field, whether it's medical students and so on, going into psychiatry, they were led into analysis. Psychologists, too, had their own pattern of getting training, usually with a medical psychiatrist, and each one would have to go through the same process of being analyzed. Very, very few individuals practice psychiatry as we later came to know it. If you look back today, very few of the professionals, whether it be psychiatry or psychology, are considered analysts. Very few indeed. And obviously, the socioeconomic factor prohibits four or five sessions a week and an hour at a time. It's just impractical. Now, interestingly enough, in New Jersey, a colleague of mine has been a psychoanalyst and remains a psychoanalyst to this day. Very busy now with his five or six patients, but he's still in the field. I know of no other individual in psychiatry whom I knew who are practicing analysis today. Do you think that some of the reason is also because, as some people say, it really wasn't as successful or as beneficial a therapeutic intervention? Is, is that an issue? You know, I cannot answer that question. I can think about it. I myself tried it, but after a short time, I said to myself, this is not 
for me. I can't function that way. I quickly left the idea of being analyzed and dropped it. I used to try a couple of days a week to see how it would go. Today, I do not believe that it would be practical, even if people wanted to practice analysis in any manner or form as it was in the past, it couldn't go from an economic standpoint, if nothing more. One of the things that has been tried was something known as short-term psychodynamic psychotherapy, sort of the elements of psychoanalysis, but slightly differently uh, approached differently. Any comments on that? Yes. I beg, borrow, and steal everything that was good in analysis, and I incorporate it in my psychodynamic practice. The fact of the matter is, that is true largely. You cannot get away from analysis to understand what goes on in the human mind. Others, I know, have continued using analytic techniques, although they do not call themselves in any form an analyst. So what is the role now of what is commonly known as cognitive behavioral therapy? Now, cognitive behavioral therapy is a more recent development. In fact, I look upon it as we what we call common sense therapy, using the cognitive process to help the individual reorganize their thinking so they can come down a better path than they've been using. Now, you name it, there is a therapy for it. Reality therapy, play therapy, whatever you're doing, there's a name for it. Now, who does it? An individual may be in a hospital working with a clinic, for example, and that whatever goes on there is carried over to the individual's practice. But there are many individuals who start out with a tabula rasa, and then they continue on and over the years develop a pattern. What do I do? What have I done? In later years, I learned from my buddy, Albert Ellis, that his way out thinking was often very, very successful. Is getting down to business with the first patient and in effect saying, what the hell is wrong with you? What the hell wrong with you? And a few words which I'd rather not use today, but he had a vocabulary zone. And there's this this is what we're going to do. And he's like a traffic cop. But you know, I know his, his work. It worked. I can't give you statistics on his success, but I happen to know that his work was successful. So it brings the question then, how does psychotherapy work? You know, you're asking so difficult questions. All I can say is I was in active practice for 63 years. Before that, I had clinical training over a period of four years following my master's degree and during the time of my doctorate. And I was practicing then because I really didn't know the answer. Did it really work? To this day, all you hope for is that the patient smiles and shakes your hand at the end of the sessions and you have a feeling that you did a good job. And do people report being less anxious or less having less emotional pain? Is that the sort of thing that you would measure? The only answer you can get is the report that you get from the patients. And it can happen suddenly. My therapy was short-term. I usually had a limit 20 visits was the longest. But I've had people that were with me for three or four years who would come back periodically. As to whether or not they were successful or not, they were happy in what they were doing. They were functioning. When they came to me initially, they weren't functioning. And I'm sure you've seen it happen today. It can happen virtually overnight, where suddenly the picture changes. The scene opens up. The curtains part, and they're on a new stage. They're acting differently. Where do you go beyond that? Talk to his friends, and they may give you the same information. But to know exactly what happened in the psyche to make that change, I have never found out. I don't think I'll ever know. And I wonder who does though. It's been often said that psychotherapy is educational. It's teaching people how to live and how to face life. Do you agree with that? Oh, I'll buy that all the way down the line. Absolutely.
That's where cognitive comes, understanding. That's the meaning of the word. And so the patient has to understand the very significance of what we refer to as psychotherapy, namely help helping him or her reorganize their change, their flow of thought, so it's more in line with what is called for in the everyday being. I know for several years, or maybe longer, that you actually practiced hypnotism. That seems to have gotten lost in a lot of ways. There are still a few people who do it, but I know that in my training, I was introduced to it, but I was never trained in it. I never really used it. That is a very interesting observation. There was a period where, especially in treatment of cancer, of helping these individuals through the difficult stages of suggestion vis-a-vis hypnosis. Unfortunately, it hasn't been used. There was a time where I was called upon by groups, medical doctors who had their association, dentists to teach groups of hypnosis, and it worked. I know in many instances where I came to a period of resistance. I'll give you an example. At one time, I was called upon by the American Psychological Association to give a seminar at one of the national meetings on hypnosis and to make sure that it was on the up and up. I got the subject to volunteer from the group and a woman in late 20s volunteered. I used this woman and she proved to be a good subject, so I went ahead with it. Now I'm gonna give it very fast and very briefly. How far back can you go? So I used of having her recall her behavior going back over the years. And at one time, it said to her, now where were you at that time? He gave a spatsiri, I said, what? And she said again, I said, German. Well, fortunately, I knew a German. I said, I instructed her to go along more. Now, she started telling me what happened thoroughly at that time. She was able to bring back that period of life. Now, she was understanding English in the here and now, but responding to me where she was psychologically at that time. And it gave me the reality then, how far you can use. And so I began to use this in regression. Regression is a very important part, as you will know, in a psychotherapy attempt. And here the regression could be controlled. And I used it. And from then on, I began to use, in many of the cases I used, hypnosis. And it worked. Fascinating, again, because I'm of a different generation, and it was something that we learned about, but we never practiced. Look, I remember a dentist that asked me, Dr. Weitz, come come into my office the first time, and I want to do it, but I'm afraid. And I came in his office, and he had this gal, and he said, in the past, I'd reach for a scalpel and turn around, she'd be gone. She'd run out. Four or five attempts to get her to take care of her teeth. She wouldn't let him work. She ran away. This time, he put her under hypnosis. And make a long story short, she was in a different world. Now, how does that apply to psychotherapy? If you can do that in a few words, get the individual to change their accommodation in the here and now, why can't you do that with regressive behavior over the period of years and using it in finding the psychological roadmap to where she is or he is at a given time. The the areas of mental health and the number of people who have gone into mental health, now we have so many different levels of training and so many different levels of uh, professional uh, practitioners 
the training and supervision backgrounds are so varied now. You obviously went through a very thorough training. There are some, like Albert Ellis, who hasn't been well-received in some areas. His rationally motor psychotherapy, in my opinion, works. There are aspects of analysis which continue to work. There are methods of conditioning, good old conditioning, which seem to work. However, you used the term before, cognitive. We'll repeat that. Cognitive is learning. And I say, all good psychotherapy today implies the use of cognitive approach. Now, we talk of new methods. A psychologist came out with a therapy which became known as the you-feel therapy. And this, you did say a word, except the patient says, but I had a very bad day. The therapist says, oh, you feel you had a very bad day. Oh, and so you're afraid to come back tomorrow. Oh, you're afraid it's going to come back. Well, I said, that sounds pretty good. I took a week off and went over to the Biltmore Hotel in New York, where I took a week seminar with this man in this new field therapy. And now, a couple of months later, I'm going to use it in my practice. And a woman comes in, and I was, uh-huh, you use uh-huh, if that's, uh-huh, and then she goes on, or you feel this, you feel that. Second therapy session comes, and I say, you feel this, you feel, and she suddenly stopped. And she sits up, she's Dr. White's, I want you to know I feel. I feel you're full of, and she walked out, and I, my friend said, did you get paid? I said, no, she never paid me. The fact of the matter is, these therapies come along. The you feel came for a couple of people looking into it, God, God. We have just a few minutes. Let's, let's close this way then. When you sit back and you look over the 62 years that you've been doing this and all the things that you've seen, what's better, what's not, and where do we have to go as, as a field? What I like that has happened over the years is psychiatry has changed its approach. They realize that in and of itself, it has a value, but the value can be enhanced if they call upon their fellow professionals in other fields, particularly psychology and social work, where their skills can be of benefit to the medical therapist. And for years, I led the state of New Jersey in getting licensing law for psychologists. It took me 20 years to bring it to head. Why? One year, the psychiatrist would approve, but the neurologist would approve. And then they played ping pong with the various branches. However, today, psychiatry is working in a team-like situation. And that is certainly helpful to the patient because the psychiatrist has skills, which are the sine qua non of what he needs to help the patient. But the psychologist can help him. The social worker can help, and so on. Over the years, I quickly learned of what certain psychiatrists can do and what some can't do. But over the years, I've referred more cases to psychiatrists than they referred to me. But that's fine. That's the way it goes. As far as the general field is concerned, it is my opinion that, for example, neuropsychology. The neuropsychologist today behind a computer is guiding the surgeon and his roadmap into the brain with the scalpel. But no, get away from there. Speech is involved a little bit. Oh, yeah. The psychoneurologist is helping the brain surgeon. That's what I mean by the involvement of both fields, 
using their respective skills, not to keep you apart, but into cohabitation for the benefit of the patient. Wonderful. Robert Weitz is a psychologist who began his career in 1945, and I must say that is before I was born. And I so enjoy hearing your observations and your sense of what has happened in the field and pray tell that it will only get better. Sir, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to make a slight contribution for the good of all concerned. Thank you very much for inviting me. You have indeed. Thank you.